Welcome to No Clip. I'm Chad Rutherman. I'm JJ Artimez. And I'm Andy Cannon. And today we're going to be talking about Severed. Severed is a notoriously difficult to Google search video <laughs> game uh, that, <laughs> that was uh, developed and published by Drinkbox Studios uh, and was released in 2016 on, and this surprised me, the Vita, iOS, Wii U, Nintendo 3DS, and the Switch. I didn't know there oh, was a Switch, Switch release. Oh, I asked you about that. I don't think you did. I did so. Anyway, so now that JJ is online to me. Uh, <laughs> Are you sure it's just not a planned Switch release? It could be a planned Switch release. I feel like I check the Switch eShop like, frequently. And it came out it. August 8th. Oh. oh. So oh, like two days. days ago at go. the time of this recording. Weird. Yeah. So, uh, we've, okay, so... As we've been playing this game, a couple of people have definitely asked, at least me and Andy, uh, what, like, how we describe the game, mm-hmm. and the best that I had come up with, and you guys might have, like, a, a better idea than me, yes. was if you took uh, the Elder Scrolls 1, like the original Elder Scrolls, and Fruit Ninja, and you smashed them together... <laughs> into this game. Yeah, with the visual style of Guacamelee. Right. That's a it, it is a darker style, but it has like the almost the same color palette entirely. Right. I'm actually really glad I didn't play Guacamelee before playing this. I watched it a little bit and I'm aware that the how similar like the color palette is between the two, but I'm really happy that like the crazy psychedelicness of it didn't get spoiled in a comedy setting and it just got to feel like weird and horrifying to me now. Yeah. The I, I gotta say, like, I've played I've played a little bit of Guacamelee. Uh Andy has actually beaten it. Yes. Uh and I, I picked this game up when it came out based on a trailer that I saw for it. And for the most part, like I really I have a lot of respect for Drinkbox because both of those games are like really good, but they're not like a, they're certainly not a well-known studio. No, you would think that Guacamelee would have gotten them more recognition than it did because it's like on everything and it's been like on like <laughs> sale on Steam like a million times and everyone seems to own it. Yeah, I believe I got the game. I got Guacamelee originally through a, a humble bundle, and then I got it a second time. In a humble bundle for the Wii U, and that's the copy that you played, Andy. Mm-hmm. So uh, they did their work to like get their their like name out there, I guess. Um, but whereas Guacamelee is a Metroidvania, this is a very different game. But they pulled both of them off really well. Yeah. So what you actually do in this game is uh, you play as Sasha, who is a one-armed girl uh, who has a sword, and you. <laughs> You walk, it's it's like a dungeon crawler. Yeah, like an old school PC dungeon crawler. Right. First person perspective on, at least for the way we played it, a small screen. So it really simulates that like 240 by 240 pixel experience yeah. of the old dungeon crawlers. <laughs> I played it on the Wii U, so. Which even with the Wii U though, the default setup is to have everything in the game happening on the gamepad. Right. Uh but how was that experience, by the way? Um, it was weird. I was thinking about this while I was playing, like, what, like, what their idea was, like, what the, f- 
system they were initially de- developing it for. Because like when I started playing, it was like the game on the gamepad screen, and just like the map on the TV. And I was like, this seems weird. <laughs> uh, like maybe that it, this was like originally uh, conceived for the DS, and it feels better on there. And then as I was playing, I was thinking about like, oh well, this is a bigger screen. That's probably like a pretty big benefit to have like more room to slash. Then I was like, oh well, maybe then on like the iPad, that would probably be. I I don't know like what the ideal experience would be. I I, I get the impression based on uh, any of the reading I've done, which isn't a ton in this instance, uh, and also my experience playing it. I think that this game was initially conceived of as a 3DS title, mm. and then just because of the simplicity of it, they ported it onto anything with a touchscreen. I cannot even imagine trying to play this game on my phone. No. And I've got a big, be... fat phone, too, and I still <laughs> think I would just like completely lose constantly. I'm surprised you went that direction. This, this game screamed like one of the refugees from the Vita to me. Like, mm. in the way that there was always these, like, weird, niche, touchscreen-adjacent concepts yeah. that people <laughs> always tried to fold into the Vita and do cool things, like Gravity Rush? Is it the, yeah, the, Gravity the Rush. That game? Mm. Yeah. Uh, and how you had all these, like, neat concepts at, like, middle-tier graphical levels that ended up just sort of scattering to the winds on any other console they could grab a hold of in the horrible waters of the core horrible gaming development yeah the, just, the playstation Vita, <laughs> right, basically yeah i feel like the game would look really great on the vita probably, but the vita has one thing really going against it though and that's the fact that it only has one screen that's true the both the wii and the 3ds feel supernatural for this because uh, i mean this might be my own laziness so like you guys can <laughs> chime in if you don't agree mm-hmm. but uh during times when I was like, if I was like a just hunting for upgrades, or b not didn't care about looking at stuff, I'm pretty much navigated by looking exclusively at the map screen and walking with that, and would just like run into enemies and be like, oh well, now I look down. <laughs> uh, for me, I looked at the map a lot when it was up on the big TV. Right, but. Uh, <laughs> Maybe about a third of the way in, I realized I could switch the uh, the way it was set up so that the game was both on the TV and the gamepad. Mm-hmm. So then I just I ended up liking it better that way and like just navigating with the mini map. Um, so I would end up like looking at the TV while I was walking around and then looking at the gamepad when I was in combat. Yeah. That ended up working out pretty well for me. I can't imagine trying to, like, have a, a dissociated, like, your swipes mm-hmm. to the enemy. Because, one, the difference in size, I think, would fuck me up. Yeah. And, two, like, not having that, like, tactile, like, here's me doing this yeah, thing. I, mean, I, feel yeah, like I, I tried it a little bit. You just, you have no idea where you're starting your swipe at. Yeah. If you're yeah. not looking. But um, makes perfect sense. Yeah, the the map thing for me, like when it was available, I felt like I kind of like lent on it as like a crutch. Mm-hmm. But once it was gone, I didn't really miss it all that much. This is actually, and I'm glad we hit on it immediately. One of the things about it that makes me feel like I would have had a better experience playing this game on the Vita. Okay, I think the way that it constantly ported itself to other touchscreen devices which meant, in this weird world of ours, devices with two screens all over the place. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they 
constantly did the expected thing of just like putting the necessary useful map information on any extra space that they had. I think that's to the like aesthetic detriment to the game because I did exactly the same thing. I navigated almost exclusively using the map to yeah. the point where most of the time my eyes were on the map. It was just so much more useful for getting around, and it made it feel way less like you were in a dungeon, and it made you pay way less attention to the cool, albeit repetitive, like, graphical designs that you were sort of exploring through, Navigating, I guess. yeah. Yeah. I, I, I get it. Like, I, I agree with that, obviously. It's kind of the same situation that we were in when we were talking about Metal Gear Solid and always, like, being glued to the Solitone radar. Um, but... I don't know. In this game, I felt like I was always between modes, um, where I would be like either looking straight at the map or either looking at the thing, because most of the navigation in this isn't necessarily maze-like, especially when you first get to an area. It's just sort of a, let's go to every room and see what's here. Yeah. It's a dungeon crawler in the most literal sense. Not the most literal. That would be like if you were a, a baby, baby also, mm-hmm. but in the semi-literal sense where it is a dungeon and you're just sort of trying to look through it. Yeah. So that gets away from like, because you're not directly navigating from point A to point B. Right. But then when you are, you're like, well, let's just look at the map the whole time. <laughs> I think we might be conflating two different versions of a maze here, because I think if you didn't have consistent access to the map and had, even if it was just behind something as simple as pressing one button to revert it, so you had to pull it up and then pull it back down again. Right. Uh, it would seem more maze-like, even though if you look at it from a top down, it's the simplest thing in the world. Right. Because everything's repetitive enough that you sort of lose your orientation to things all the time. Like, there's a couple of times when the map goes away in the second area, when you're, like, going through the portals and stuff, and you're yeah. in, like, nega versions of areas that you're already in. That happens as well in the third area. Yeah. And it might happen in the first, but I, I didn't go back to like, the first area. I liked those zones when they took your map away from you, specifically because you... It, it felt like you were in a maze, and you were exploring around this dungeon and didn't know where to go, and it took you a while to get anywhere, and sometimes you get lost. Right. Just because everything kind of looked like everything else yeah. in the same That's design. what I was going to bring up, because those are the areas where it does actually feel like a maze. Um, and if you're me, the first time that you do one of those, you don't realize that you just need to affect something so that you can then go back and do a thing. And I just ended up wandering around looking for the item forever until I realized, like, I just, like, started making a mental map of the area and being like, there's just no way there. Let's leave. Yeah, that was kind of, like, my whole experience because, yeah, like, that was part of the challenge of the game was like navigating the spaces. Mm-hmm. And um, one thing we haven't brought up yet is the fact that like it's not like a fully three D rendered area. Like it's like you you see a screen and then you walk and transition to the next one. Right. It's like a two D. It's like a semi two D three D kind of look. Like Google. Like pause the cast. <laughs> Google some up. images of it. Or well, you can leave it up if you want. Whatever. We can just keep bullshitting while you're spending all this time Googling <laughs> yeah, the images. And, like, and see, look at it for yourself because it's kind of hard to describe. Yeah. It's like it, a mist, sort of. Yeah, it's, but it's it's hard to... Um, it, it can be disorienting when you first start. Yeah. Well, it can be disorienting pretty much all the way through, depending yeah. on what it is. The, that is... The way that I always visualized it, which is 
given the fact that this is a video game podcast, weirdly the thing that I went to was like if you were a first person piece on a like a board game board. Yeah. It's because you like just move from room to room mm. and like tackle the things that are in it. And it really is kind of like that because the enemies aren't free roaming either. Right. It's they a exist lame. Yeah, they exist as like a, a uh, an encounter. So like, you know exactly, you can plan what you're going to do. If you feel like you're low on health, you can, like, dart back to that uh, papaya or whatever it was <laughs> mm-hmm. that you found a couple of rooms ago to refill and then go into the encounter. Uh, oh, that papaya was gross. Everything you eat is gross. That's a, there were some that were just regular fruits. I know. But a lot of them were, like... No, do you just not like papayas? Is that this is? <laughs> it was a, it was a gross representation of a papaya. I'm actually not even a hundred percent sure it was a papaya. Yeah, some kind of fruit. <laughs> they didn't make was references like a, to fruits, but there's a weird yeah. Yeah, there's like a weird monster version with like <laughs> veins coming out yeah. of it. It's not super. Uh, Appetizing. It's no. the naturally occurring version of papayas and <laughs> all of these like Quetzalcoatl adjacent body the, horror creatures. What did they call it? Like the the other world or something? I can't remember. They had a name. It like every piece of narrative in this game, it's doled out in like very small chunks and kind of in a roundabout way. Mm-hmm. It's pretty rare that you get told something directly, and when you are, it's usually something that is in itself a symbol for something else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's neither here nor there, because we're talking about walking around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and one decision, I, I don't know if I really liked it or disliked it, was that instead of going back to the room and getting the papaya to heal, you could just suicide and come back with full health. Yeah. The saves were a little bit too lenient, maybe. Yeah, like if you died, you just come back with full health and try again. Yeah. You know, scot-free. <laughs> Yeah. I'm really happy I never learned that ever once. <laughs> you never died? In combat? Yeah. I think I died once in combat, and maybe it just didn't click with me. Mm. That kind of doesn't surprise me. Like, when when I started, like, playing the game, I was like, this seems like a kind of, like, a JJ niche. Like, yeah. he's totally gonna love this and <laughs> click with it kind of game. I get the, uh, I get the impression that, I mean, the game definitely is not particularly challenging, I guess. Yeah. I actually don't remember because I started the game so long ago at this point. Is there, like, a difficulty setting? Like, do you choose a difficulty? Or is it just a baseline thing? I don't think so. No. In fact, one thing that I thought I find so entertaining about this game is that once you start it up and look at the title screen, the only buttons you have are, like, play and options, and the only thing under options are two volume sliders. Yeah. <laughs> I Actually, this is what I was going to mention uh, when you first got here. Uh, it amuses me how, like, ridiculously bare-bones the menu is. Because it's, like, it's, like, the most simplistic thing I've ever seen. It's just a solid color background with two solid color buttons. It looks like a Windows error message, but in brighter <laughs> colors. Uh, which is crazy because the aesthetics of this game are, like, uh, 70% of the appeal of it. Yeah. I mean, unless you're just, like, a huge Fruit Ninja fan. Yeah. I don't know why I keep giving credit to the shitty game of Fruit Ninja. There were things like this that existed before that. But yeah, what you should be giving credit to uh, is the game that this has like usurped 
my best mobile game that in the world title from Fruit Ninja. <laughs> <laughs> Infinity Blade. Oh right. This yeah. game is Infinity Blade made it something way more interesting than the Unreal Engine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with your ability to actually select the hallways that you go down. <laughs> And well, it's, it's, there you go. It's like, it's several, it's as many years afterward that you would expect. It's like, it skipped over like three possible iterations of Infinity Blade after serious iPhone games really stopped being a thing. Yeah. Uh, as discussed on the Resident Evil 4 podcast. Go listen to the Resident Evil 4 podcast. Uh, <laughs> now, uh... Yeah, so that some shitty menu joke I had, <laughs> and, and then oh, there was no difficulty, right? And I feel like this game would benefit from having a difficulty slider of some kind. I feel like it would be better if it had like an, a hard mode that you unlocked when you beat it, because I feel That's like fair. the baseline difficulty, at least for me, was like at a pretty nice, satisfying level. Yeah. And I could imagine there being people, possibly like JJ, who liked this game a lot and wish that it was even more challenging. Just assuming that's how you feel. Boy, I'm glad that you completely know everything that I love, Andy. Yes. Because you are right about everything you've ever said about me or about this game. I, I'm always right forever. Yeah. You heard JJ say it. <laughs> The way that I view the the difficulty, the challenge of this game, though, is that I agree it was like a satisfying difficulty, but it was it was very non discouraging. We'll say at no point did I feel like I was like, I really gotta take like a break from this because this was a real hard. There were two difficult encounters in the whole game. They were just regular enemy encounters. Uh, yeah, the only things that tripped me up were the battles in the clouds, which are just placed on a time limit. Oh, yeah. Yep. There's, but, uh, there's one of those that's real, real, real bad. Uh, <laughs> how many of the mementos did either of you guys get? What is a memento? That's what I assumed. Uh, there are secret other crazy zones in this game. Oh, uh, okay. I am aware of those okay. as, a, as, a, as a concept. And have been to one, I believe? Probably. Yeah. They're hard to miss, considering that they're like plain white landscapes that you enter through portals that are completely different than all of the other aesthetics to the game. Yeah. But uh, the routes to those are generally masked with much harder enemy encounters. And there's one like, one of those dragons that gets split in half. There's one of those uh, yeah. in a cloud fight. Uh, that's on a time limit that you have to execute like almost perfectly to get past. What? That's cool. When you say one of those dragons that gets split in half, what are you... Ta- like, the guy who's like a wizard, mm-hmm. and then when you hit him a bunch of times, he's like a two-headed dragon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, that's okay. what, you do not, did you look closely at the two heads of the dragon? Because it's not two heads. It's one dragon that was cut like just straight up and down down the middle. Mm. You can like see the brain half and like the interior incisors and stuff. I actually did not notice that as a thing. Yes. They're dragon halves. <laughs> I think the problem was that it basically was just like illustrated onto a red canvas mm. because like it doesn't have like a texture the way that a lot of things do when it's split in half. It's just sort of like a a picture of the inside of it, like, purely on <laughs> right. one side. Which is not to, like, deride the aesthetics of this game generally. I think that they did a really good job. Agreed. But continuing on our, like, Rocky talking about the difficulty path, uh, this game is a really good example 
of a game that has a, a mechanic set that's challenging enough to execute on that it still feels rewarding and is able, at least in my case, to completely mask the fact that almost no punishment exists for failing to execute it at all. Right. Like, it's sort of the platonic ideal, at least for random people who like touchscreen games like us, <laughs> of where you want a difficulty curve to hit, because there's no point at which it ever actually tries to, like, punch you in the face and stop your sol solid progress, yeah, except for no optional things. Yeah, there's no spikes, really. Yeah. yeah. It's just exactly that one random fucking fight that I had. That yeah. took me, like, four tries. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I don't know if it was, like, an intentional decision, um, but I think, to build off of that, it feels like they want you to, like, almost beat this game in one sitting. Kind of, yeah. And I don't know if that's, a, like, the difficulty curve is a result of that. Like, you're so used to yeah. doing it that by the end... Like, yeah, and, I mean, like, when I was playing, like, I never hit, like, a part where I was like, oh, man, I need to take a break. You know what I mean? Right. I did. But it was because... Uh, well, this is actually... How is it... How did you not have this happen to you unless your wrist strength is just much better than mine? Because <laughs> I imagine with the... Or did you put the gamepad on your knee? I usually just have it in my lap while I play. Okay. Because, like, I'm basically supporting the entirety of the 3D, the new 3DS XL mm -hmm. in one, in my non-dominant hand while playing the game and pressing on it with my other hand. So I kept getting, like, hand cramps mm -hmm. from, like, holding the thing for no, a long time. Yeah, period. no, I would never play a game like this in that way. Right. Where I'm just holding the game pad with one arm and pushing down <laughs> it with the other one. It does seem ridiculous, but it was the only way that I could find to do it where it didn't put it at, like, an awkward angle. Mm, yeah. You really had the absolute, like, worst <laughs> platform in that case, because the new 3DS XL is functionally just like a television that folds up six times <laughs> carrying around with you. So you had to, like, support the weight of the CRT while yeah. trying to slice stuff. And he gets the good end of it being large and that it essentially just acts like a wooden board he can sit on his lap yes. with a touchscreen on it. Right. And I have a tiny Fire Emblem 3DS right. that I could just... Had, I had the wrist strength to just yeah. sit and play the whole thing in one sitting. Yeah, I just, I felt like I settled into a flow state with the game, like, almost immediately. Like, a lot of games, there will be, like, some kind of, like, a hump to get over at the beginning before you get into it. Right. But with this one, it was, like, just right into it, and I didn't want to, like, stop till I finished it. Yeah. And the game does a really good job, especially with the, uh, like, the enemies, uh, well, the enemy design is incredible in this game, and we'll, I'm sure, talk about that later as mm -hmm. well um but specifically in terms of like curving out the difficulty like the first enemies that you encounter are not like particularly threatening take a long time to attack and don't move a whole lot and they teach you the basics of like waiting and striking at like particular areas or at certain angles in the case of the like crazy guard men uh <laughs> four-armed troll the, the four-armed troll people the roly trollies roly, sure four-armed roly trollies yeah uh, um but then managed to introduce enough variety to keep those same enemies interesting even at the end of the game mm -hmm. to the point where the first enemy that you fight the little eyeball mushroom guy is in the final boss fight like there's just one of them there yeah and he was actually a huge fucking problem for me. <laughs> it was a constant annoyance. And I think they do such a good job of 
of using the like limited variety of enemies and keeping them fresh and interesting through the whole game. It, it, another thing that this game did so well is it had like the right amount of diversity of enemies considering its length. Like I never felt like I was getting bored of any enemy type when I was running through it. Mm-hmm. And when they do the classic video game thing of reintroduce an old enemy with a new color, they always introduced some kind of actually meaningful mechanical spin on it. Like they're not just the old enemies but faster. They all do a different thing that you have to account for. Like mm-hmm. the eye stock guys now having things that you have to break with a charged shot instead of a regular one before you can really get at their meat. Uh, <laughs> so, it it was I don't I don't know I have nothing but good things to say about the way that the enemies scaled in this game. Yeah, I kind of wish there would have been a little bit more enemy variety personally, but I would have liked to have seen more visual variety, but only because I wanted to see more of what Drinkbox could come up with mm-hmm. in the art department. Because like every enemy is pleasing to look at, or. <laughs> Just strongly displeasing to look <laughs> yeah. at, which is effectively still great. Yeah. I feel like like one additional enemy like per each of the main areas yeah. would have made a big difference to me personally. I guess it, come to think of it, you're right that it would have been nice if there were like signature enemies in particular For areas, each area. just to give them a little bit more than just aesthetic differentiation, mm-hmm. because everything keeps building. Every enemy that you got in the last area just continues to get added on to the new things that are introduced to each area after mm-hmm. it. And this poor, what did you call them? Troll? Rolly Trollies. Okay, those poor forearmed Rolly Trollies that you end up testing every single ability on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the basic one guy. And you're like, hey, you got a new thing? Chop this guy's face off. <laughs> uh, all right. It also keep things a little bit more interesting uh, if you want to ever go back to prior areas to look up like the Metroidvania style locked secrets that they mm. always put mm. in the prior zones. The one thing this game didn't do correctly in that particular respect, which while it's cool that like the things that I found irritating, I'm sure not really bad game design. I didn't like that there wasn't like a a, a fast travel or like a one button like leave like go to entrance of dungeon thing. Mm. Um that is like a Zelda thing, I, I guess. I think that would have been a nice compromise cuz I think fast travel in this game would have been a bad decision. It would have been a little bit redundant for yeah, sure cuz the game how small it is. Not yeah, it's not that big. Yeah. But yeah, warp out of dungeon probably would have worked. Yeah. Uh but actually, the thing that I have an issue with is the fact that enemies don't respawn. Yeah. So when you go back in, it's just walking is all you're doing until you actually get to the new area, which may or may not have enemies in it. It made going back to specifically the first little raven zone particularly annoying because when you go back to that zone, the whole mechanical gimmick of it is hitting those like that sun and moon coin thing so that it shifts the doors that you can walk through. So in like every other zone, there's not just like a straight shot you can walk through after you've been through all of it and locked all the doors. You have to re-unlock every door every time you go back there. I had to go back there because 100% of the game... Right. How did you manage to finish the game 45 minutes faster than me and Andy (laughs) and get 100% with this being one of your complaints? And you did all the other optional <laughs> stuff. Like, I'll be, maybe Annie and I just several times just put the game on a shelf and walked away, <laughs> and we didn't actually spend six and a half hours on it. 
I, like it completely baffles me that you could have done that much more in that much less time. Well, a uh, the real answer. It's not that much more. One hundred percenting this game is not some crazy accomplishment because the percentage, particularly the the percent of the area you have explored percentage is very much like it doesn't quite represent it correctly because it represents the percent as each individual like square of the map you could walk in yeah so if you've missed one door that could have like 16 squares right so so you don't explore the map in these like one percentage minor chunks like we're used to thinking about it when you 100% games mm-hmm. you explore them in like 10% chunks and every time you go back to a prior area you're getting multiple 10% chunks at a time right and the the other reason that I think I did so well is because I'm legendarily awesome at touchscreen games <laughs> and spend an unbelievable amount of time getting good at like DS based games. Yeah, I imagine that JJ breezed through this game. That's probably really true. Fast. Yeah. You noticed though, and I already mentioned it before on the cast. I do think the difficulty curve here is spot on. Like, if what what I was what I had the advantage at is just dexterity with touchscreen bullshit. Yeah. But I, I, and I still had to learn all the new things. I still had to balance uh, all the different enemies. The time management. Yeah, we haven't actually talked about that yet. And that's my favorite element of the way that they do, like, of the, of the combat system and enemy design. It's still early. It's still early. Yeah. We don't have to cover everything. <laughs> one, one thing I want to just bring up, because it's funny. Uh, you mentioned the touchscreen dexterity. I was watching Chad play. Like I was like watching TV and whatever while he was playing. And I noticed, like, while he was playing, him just kind of, like, nonchalantly, like, doing this across <laughs> the screen in fights. And I was like, man, <laughs> you're playing this way less violent than me. <laughs> For me, it was, like, full-on, like, tongue out, like, <laughs> like frantically, like, slashing at enemies. Oh, yeah. And the game rewards you for that. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I don't think that I was playing suboptimally, by the way. I was just being it more just, calm. Yeah, like, the contrast to me was really funny. <laughs> like, I, for a lot of... I beat the final boss while, like, lounging, like, <laughs> laying sideways on a couch and, like, scratching at it and was just like, oh, I'm gonna beat this game real quick. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't actually find it that easy. Also, I'm going to have to either edit out that yawn or turn it way down, because that's a massive <laughs> Turn down the yawn! I didn't actually find the final boss to be that easy. Uh, it did take me a couple of tries, but it was... it was. I agree that the difficulty curve is at least, like, is fine. Especially as far as, like, making a smooth curve. Like, they nailed that. Oh, yeah. It's like, way more than curve. any other game I've ever played. Has it ever been like, this is... Ex- everything is exactly a little bit harder than the last thing. <laughs> I think it's because I just had so many knobs. I did lots of, of dials to turn. Which which knobs are you referring to? <laughs> I'm trying to I use so no, many metaphors. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> they, they had a lot of variables in terms of design that mm. they could change in order to ratchet the difficulty up or down like very slightly. Okay. So... They have you have a bunch of different uh, like powers and whatever, and so part of the thing that that introduces is additional mechanics, particularly magic boosts and stuff. Yeah. So the enemies have their own attack patterns 
the defense patterns of the enemies, the magical buffs that they have, the potential to have a time limit on the fight, uh, the number of enemies, the combinations the, of enemies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you can have like it's not always linear. Two any two given enemies fighting you at the same time aren't guaranteed to be equally difficult. There are particular combinations of enemies that are way more annoying to deal with than others. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And all of that, but it allows you, like, an element of strategy, which you wouldn't think, like, in a, like, ludicrous slash everything game. Uh, there's, like, a crit, like, when you, the first time that you encounter a four-enemy fight, you... Pretty like I mean, you could struggle and lose to it a couple of times, but I'm gonna say most people playing the game would probably do this, where they just sort of say like, which of these do I need to kill first to get it off the map? And so you have to do this like balance of the whole thing to the point where when I was having trouble with an uh, with an encounter, Andy's suggestions were like kill this dude first, keep these guys alive. Because that's the way that you have to think about them. Exactly. It's the reason why so many of the enemy types in this game give you limited agency over when they attack you. Mm-hmm. Like the the vein structure men with the balloons that you can just... you. The whole purpose of those guys, and I, I want to focus in on them for a second, because they're one of my favorite examples of the way they do enemy design in this game mechanically, is since you can switch around back and forth between the different people that you target, you'll have like your average guy, you've got a parry, the, the four-armed rolly men. Yeah. Uh, and you're dealing with them, but in the background, you you know that you have this vain guy who's building up his bubbles. But you can't just be random and crazy about it. You can't just like quickly flip back to him and scratch around real fast. Because mm-hmm. if you hit the bad bubbles, then more bubbles will appear. True. So it forces you when you get back to looking at the vein man to like stop for a second and take in the time so you can see where you have to slash both to hit the bubbles and to not hit the bad bubbles. Right. So the, the balancing act constantly has you switching back and forth between different enemies, which means you're doing different things on the touch screen. You're not just, like, swiping as fast as you possibly can at any given time. (laughs) And even when you have to slash to try and reduce the size of these enemies, you're always making, like, intelligent decisions, even if they're, like, split-second fast decisions. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine... I don't know, that description of them reminded me how much better it would be if the treaty virus in uh, <laughs> Trauma Center was designed like the circulatory system helium balloon rock men. Oh, yeah. This is a... Wow. Wow. The circulatory <laughs> system helium balloon rock men. <laughs> the challenge in doing this podcast is coming up with an appropriate number of adjectives for each enemy type, I, in that instance, went too far. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's pretty good. I yeah. think it was solid, yeah. But I completely agree with you. They even have the same, like, bubbles of things aesthetic that they had going on with And when that. you fuck up, more of it comes up. Yep, exactly. Yeah. But, yeah, and then and they, the vein monster isn't designed to be fought on its own, so they rarely use it on its own. Right. It's designed to be fought in combination with other things. That's uh, actually I love the uh, what we were talking about earlier the split head dragon mage. Yeah, that guy I absolutely love for uh, like it's the way that it works in group encounters because basically you want to hit it enough to like drop its attack meter down as far as you can, but you have to be careful about how much damage you do to it because it requires like your complete attention once it transforms. So, like, there's a really fucking good encounter uh, where it ha- just comes default with the health regen 
ability, yeah. and it's like that is awesome because it means you can hit it a bunch, let the health its health build back up, and then hit it more. And so they were allowed to put like way more complicated other guys in because you have even longer to deal with this guy before he becomes a dragon thing. Yes. Wonderful. And they even have some enemy types that they designed that are essentially, as far as I can tell, just there for catharsis. Like uh, <laughs> the balloon guys, the guys that just slowly fill up and they have... Uh, mushroom, one-eyed mushroom men. No, 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 not the one-eyed mushroom men. Uh, Is it the ones that have the two uh, yes. like, semicircles that switch yeah, the, sides? The two chordal circles oh, that are okay. force? Because no. yes. it takes a long time for those things to switch. So you have like three-second intervals when you can just be like crazy bad out of hell man, just like hitting them <laughs> as fast as you possibly can across the different corners of the screen. Yeah, I was so shocked when one of those guys hit me because based on how <laughs> like slow they are to actually attack. I was expecting it to be like a super devastating like <laughs> brain exploder beam. But it turns out to just kind of be like just like a Yeah. And you're like, oh, I took like maybe a twelfth of my HP. Another example of this game's like actual mechanic set being way more engaging and fun than the, the consequences for failure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like they've taken that into account for all the enemy designs. Like none of them allow you to just crazily slash them uh and they all do it in like a different way right which is what makes it all gel so well yeah because the the, even the punishment for like the micro talking about like the large-scale punishment of dying versus the like micro punishment of uh having like your sword clang off of something Mm -hmm. even that is is tempered by what you're hitting so like certain things will make your screen like jut to one side briefly and, like, completely stop you from doing anything for a second, whereas other things will just, like, not register as a hit, Mm. which is, uh, it's in that vein of them just, like, having a ton of shit that they could mess with to make the encounters exactly as difficult as they wanted to be. They even managed, when they introduced those, like, magic buff systems, to make that interesting and engaging, because, in a way, I can see, like, whenever someone first proposed the idea of these buffs, they to be introduced as different things that they can do to make fights have greater amounts of variety. It, it would strike as sort of like lazy at first blush, but then someone else is like, oh, what if they give you limited agency over the kind of buffs that can exist and whether or not you can steal them? That was right. such a great idea. Yeah. I was actually... Uh, because when I finished the game, there were two upgrades that I didn't have. Uh one of them was the fifth level of the strong charge mm. on the sword tree, and then one of them was the like maximum awesome overdrive buff power <laughs> on the 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 bite tree, and it, it, like not having that, I was thinking the whole time I was thinking like I wonder how like ludicrously overpowered this is, or if they like somehow managed to make this not a big deal but still effective enough to feel good. And then I was like, oh, I hope it doesn't like ruin the final boss. They did. The final boss, the only abilities that you can steal during the final boss are defense powers, mm. which is so good. Mm. Because, like, if you. It does give you a pretty significant benefit for grinding out, like, a bazillion parts to actually complete the trees. But then it also doesn't just make it a non challenge, like, like Majora's Mask or something. Yeah, yeah. It's. 
Another thing that, that I hadn't considered, and I don't think we've brought up in conversation with other RPGs we've done before, is scaling the size of your upgrade tree to the highest available challenges in games. Because there's this huge temptation when you're designing upgrade trees for your games to make them as expansive as humanly possible and also to only give you enough resources in one playthrough to experiment with like a small subset of the things that you can do. Right. But this also has this effect of in certain types of RPGs, if you just spend the time to get the entire tree if you want to, and none of the end game content ever changes to match you at all. Right. You and just become a god. Yeah. But fortunately in this game they do manage to not let that happen. I gotta say, this is like close to, if not the like ideal upgrade tree for a non-RPG game. Yeah. Because mm, cause in a game that you have a lot more agency over the stats you're choosing, you get this idea of like creating a build, like what am I going to specialize in, uh, and games do that kind of an upgrade tree pretty well, pretty often, uh, but like when somebody just like, is like, let's just throw like an RPG upgrade system into our game, uh, most of the time... They either, one, end up with the god scenario that we were discussing before, or they end up with a situation where you have, like, 9,000 bubbles of garbage that are ter- <laughs> that you just don't want to look at. Yeah. Or at least I don't want to fucking look at. And this game, it was just, like, the right amount where mm-hmm. it felt like... And also, like, incrementally unlocked, which is even better. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the first time I looked at it, I wasn't immediately overwhelmed. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, anything that has the word, like, node in it, immediately can that idea. <laughs> Replace it with something way easier yeah. to understand. There are no, like, Final Fantasy X sphere grids. Yeah, Jesus yeah. Christ. No. <laughs> Flashbacks to the sphere grid. Oh. But yeah, it's, it's like, this game decides to use the upgrade tree not to give agency over the kind of character you have, but over what things you get first. By the end of the game, you have almost everything, whether you 100% the game or not. Yeah. I do feel like, and I, I, for the life of me, like over the last two hours or so, since I've actually had time to think about it, have not been able to come up with anything that could even remotely be improved upon to keep this here. But the one thing that I take issue with the upgrade tree is the the one the power that re- that regens your health because mm-hmm. uh, you can tell because of like how minute the increments are that they tried super hard to balance that mm-hmm. and it would feel really bad if it wasn't in the game because like the, like you said you barely you you never died in combat barring falling from the clouds oh yeah i followed the clouds several times because i just kept missing that they were clouds it took me like three falls before i even registered that, that was just the sky right. but i died in combat i think once yeah so it doesn't happen a ton even on somebody who isn't like a a wrist guard wearing <laughs> power glove of a man <laughs> uh JJ's had a power glove this whole time. Yeah, told us he's been playing with power this whole time. (laughs) Fuck, Uh, it's just like juicing for elite beat agents. He's playing with the power glove. Good, Uh, but even if you're not that good, you don't die that often in combat, and a lot of the times it's because you have that like little bit of health regen, Mm -hmm. Uh, and like the health regen fruits would have to be like everywhere to maintain the same level of like Mm -hmm. no death. Uh, it's just, it's it's so hard to balance that kind of thing, and I 
kind of don't like where it ended up because you can, on bosses in particular, you can basically just get back to full health after even missing a whole bunch of blocks. I think the route they should have gone with that, because that stuck out to me as well. Like when you see something that's like, oh, I can get 0.5% health regen every time I hit something, like that's a number that's so small that it sticks out to you immediately. Uh, I would have much preferred if they tied you regaining health to a larger amount of health that you get back from severing things. I would it, give it, don't make it constant so you can still have points of tension mid fight. And all the bosses have like ancillary tiny minions anyway, so you, you don't lose out in situations where there's, there are just singular strong enemies in front of you. I almost kind of feel like they could have just gotten rid of it completely. Well, they, they could have. There's yeah. plenty of fruit that I didn't use. But I think they just wanted you to have a little bit of agency over your health bar. Right. Yeah. Or, like, just restrict it to boss fights or something. Like, uh, it just feels unnecessary. Yeah. I can agree with that. I, th- I think that it could have been... There could have been something better in its place. Yeah. Or you could just not take the upgrade, I guess, since it is an option. That's true. And that was not what I was thinking at right. all. I was just like, I better... Just yeah, get like, yeah. Like, I can imagine being like one of the designers and say like, leave it in for the people who need it or want it, right? And then people who don't don't have to take it. Yeah, I guess they could have they could have put it on like the third upgrade tree because when you look at the the bite mark upgrade tree, mm-hmm. not a ton of it really has to do with that power. Yes, there's one that doubles <laughs> the amount of of buffs that you get, and one that uh, increases the strength of the buff. But the other ones are like a charge attack increase. Mm-hmm. They could have just put the health regen thing there so you didn't have it through the whole game so that when you got to it, you knew that you didn't need it. Yeah. You know? Because like, that was kind of how I read that whole thing. The one thing, the one that I invested most of my points in were the, uh, was the faster charge time. And that's just because I hated using the charge because it just, ooh, we gotta wait for that fucking circle. <laughs> I don't wait for things. It's not my style. (laughs) We know. Uh, Another thing I was thinking about was that felt a little unnecessary to me was the fact that you could buy parts, like monster parts, with the whatever bits. The giblets. The giblets. Yeah. That that felt unnecessary to me as well. uh, To some extent, I think they wanted to have... I think it was a decision to compensate for the fact that they just like wanted to have a lot of parts or yeah they could have like it could have been that they wanted to put more enemies in than they could so like to compensate they gave you another way to get parts mm-hmm. well, which is important because they could have just in all of those different pots not given you giblets they could have just given you monster parts. regular parts and then scaled up the number of parts that it required to upgrade to match what you were given but True. they didn't do that instead and there's an important reason for that which is they want because the enemies in this game don't respawn. Mm, they needed they needed a way for you to have agency over the kind of parts you can get if you wanted to get particular up, upgrade uh, trees. Okay, I hadn't thought about that. Question. Yeah. Uh, for you who who's done everything in the game. Yes. There's a, a chain lever near the end of the game that when you pull on an enemy show up. Yes. And after you beat like so many fights, you go in. And there's a bunch of shit. Yeah. And when you leave, it closes again. Is that just an endless uh, enemy farm? Yep, that is exactly what it's for. Okay, I was making sure, because I did it the first time, and then went to go do it a second, like, imagine, dear reader, if you will, uh, my hand reaching for the, uh, the chain for the sixth time after it had closed, and then I was like, nay. 
this is boring. And then I left. Oh, wait, wait. The, 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 <laughs> so you never actually got through it? Oh, I got through it and oh, got okay. all the parts inside. But Just then when I sure. left, there was still a pot in there, which was a dirty trick. Because <laughs> it made me think that maybe I just forgot to break a pot. Yeah, you think you miss a pot. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not doing that again for one pot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't make it through that gate. Like, I fought, like, three waves of enemies. I was like... I feel like I'm missing something. So I left and never came back. And I beat the game, yeah. yeah. It does have an air of a, like, there's a puzzle here that I'm not Yeah, like I'm missing a piece. Yeah. Like, it seems, so yeah, like, you need something so that there's only one wave we can just get through. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's just there so that you can finish the upgrade trees right. for free, basically. Yeah. yeah, it's just not signaled as well as it, as it could be. It doesn't seem like a training area. Right. It seems like a secret you don't know. And it doesn't seem, this doesn't seem like the kind of game that would have a training area. Exactly. It's just like, why is this here? It's like, well, if, in case. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they didn't need that in case, because additional upgrades and things that you get are tied to your ability to sever things. So a hypothetical kind of bad player could just end up not getting nearly as many parts of a particular kind that they wanted. Yeah. Actually, uh, one more thing, because I, I desperately want to take a break. <laughs> uh, but I do have one question uh, that you might know that I wasn't able to piece together over my playthrough, which is when you... Like, sometimes when you kill an enemy, they just, like, fucking, uh, like, dissipate. Like, they just become gas. Yes. And you don't get to sever them? Mm-hmm. Is there a reason behind that? Or is yes. it just random chance? Yeah. It's like There's a bar that you fill up by like getting a consecutive number of hits. The focus meter? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that affects when your... When the focus meter is full, it allows you to sever things. This is what happens when, when you not. start a game <laughs> and then uh, take like six months and don't play it. That's and then pick excuse, it up three minutes like, in. That's a good excuse, because I was like, it's really clear. (laughs) (laughs) When I started this game for the podcast, I had a save file that had four minutes of time on it, and I was like, like, what what could I possibly miss in four minutes? That, evidently. Because I just, like, I immediately associated the focus meter just with that ability that makes you do more damage. So I'd fill up the focus, and I'd be like, ooh, scratch it all. (laughs) Uh... God, another great example of this game rewarding you through great play and not punishing you through bad play is that focus meter is all the benefits that you get to upgrades and damage uh, from doing things right a consecutive number of times. Right. So good. Now I have to leave all that in where I'm an idiot. Yep. Because <laughs> there's a cogent point at the end. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha! Uh, fuck this shit and take a break. You're a woman with notes, actually, so yes. if you want to guide this any further, go ahead. Oh, I would love to be a shepherd of the podcast. But what I want to talk about uh, currently is the like plot that's laid forth. Oh, I'm sorry, little sheep. You trying to pull this podcast <laughs> in your direction, eh? You trying to wander off into greener fast pastures? And... Welcome back to the podcast. <laughs> I'm taking back over. <laughs> uh, so I want to talk about the story. Or rather, like, the story beats that this game has. Because there aren't, uh, there isn't a whole lot of, like, explicit narrative given. Mm -hmm. But I gotta say, my opinion of this game changed, like, 
instantaneously the second that you find your brother impaled on like a bunch of fucking wood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I was like, because I didn't really know what. I mean, obviously you have like the what do they call him, like the watcher, like the guy in the what looks to be a trench coat. Oh, the, the, Aku. the, um, uh, yeah, Aku from <laughs> Samurai Jack. Yes. Yeah. Shows up at the beginning of the game, and, like, you're aware of that weirdness. Mm-hmm. And you've just encountered all these monsters, but, like, you're playing a video game. But, I mean, your main character has her arm severed off when she's, like, a 12-year-old girl. I mean, that's true, <laughs> but also, like, totally not... Like, she's, not, she's See, still I thought, alive. I thought that set the tone pretty well. That's fair. I, I think a lot of the things set the tone really well. However, the like the level of grimness that this game can that this game like r- resides at, yeah, really gets driven home when you finish the first dungeon and are presented like your quest to find your family becomes your quest to find your family's corpses and it's way more like (laughs) this is we've now stepped far into the realm of like just crippling depression (laughs) yeah yeah my strong takeaway from the game was not so much the narrative but the theming in the narrative of being severed from something like the fact that your character is missing her arm, obviously, and the fact that you sever enemies' body parts, you sever parts off of the bosses to use as upgrades. Right. You're severed from your family, etc. You're severed from your home, and seemingly also severed from like the plane of the living. <laughs> yeah. 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 You have like and no maybe, social yeah. contacts to anything other than a bird that wants to vomit at you. Yeah. Yeah, so, but the end of the game, I love that bird though. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was... I felt that throughout the whole game. I thought that was really well done. Mm. Nothing, like, extraordinary, but well executed. I also latched on real quick to the narrative. This is, like, maybe the darkest game that has this much color in it uh, that I've played probably since Hotline Miami, (laughs) which, if I'd played Hotline Miami when it came out, would be a much more significant statement than the the gas going on right now. I guess I could qualify it further by saying it's probably the darkest, colorful piece of media I've ever experienced that did not reference cocaine once. (laughs) We even, like... Oh, what about comic books? I guess Watchmen counts. Uh, this is more colorful than Watchmen. Watchmen now. might reference cocaine as well. We just forget. <laughs> it's also possible. I think this is color- more happen, colorful than It is set in the yeah. 80s. So. I, well, see, I almost want to argue that this... Because obviously it's a different... It's such a weird... I'm sure that this, like... There's a better way to describe this distinction. Mm-hmm. This is a different kind of colorful than Hotline Miami is. Mm-hmm. Because Hotline Miami is, uh, like... It's set to evoke that, uh, like, the Miami, like, neon signs Yeah, like, like the that. Miami Vice. Yeah, and, and that's, like, the aesthetic that it's going for. Whereas this one is lots of very bright, vibrant neons on, like, black as, like, its background. Blacks and dark blues. Uh, and yeah, it, like, dark blues and purples. Mm. There isn't much actual black. That's also a good point. Uh, but, the th- I mean, obviously the game and all of Drinkbox's games draw from that uh, the, the Mexican culture. Um, but because I am not well educated in the Mexican culture, the thing that, it comes to, that comes to mind are, like, the 
uh, Dia de los Muertos, like, sugar skulls and things mm-hmm. like that, like, that aesthetic. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's gotta be a big inspiration for it. Like, the more, like, colorful, decorative side of that holiday. It even ties into the way that your character slowly accrues different, like, crazy-looking dresses and mm-hmm. things that are just attaching to your person as the game's progressing. Yeah, you at the end of the game look like a... Well, not the end of the game where you shed all of it, but before that, when you have, like, a like an insane tie-dye arm... The rage arm. The rage arm. You've got, a yeah, the headpiece, the chest piece. You've got, like, crazy white goop on your feet. Uh, which is like the cloud walking stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's yeah, you just like covered in crazy nonsense. Your sword has a spine on it. <laughs> Isn't it sentient as well? The, the sword, arm, the yeah. spine, oh, the, the arm. Which it, it has like an eyeball in it, and it like moves around, doesn't it? As does the old woman's sword. Yeah, yeah. At the very least, it is alive. Yes, and that's terrifying enough. That's a whole fucking moment that like I glossed over and didn't realize how weird it was till just now. That old woman who you, like, break into her house and get the spine for your sword from, when you, like, block her attack, she just, like, drops a corpse on the ground and then runs away? Uh, I think the implication is is that she went through the same thing you did. You can, I agree, you but, can like, but go she, back to her house and confirm that. Yeah. Oh, okay. She, she, she is, like, in, in her mirror room, which is the other thing. You go to her house and there's a broken mirror. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I assume, yeah, she just didn't go fight the dragon. Oh, yeah, that seems like the better idea. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe she only rescued one of her family members, etc. <laughs> etc. Yeah. yeah. I was at, I was fully expecting a boss fight with her and was kind of or like a mini boss encounter with her and was right. disappointed that it was just a one thing. Yeah, it was like thing. a one thing. It made her seem a whole lot more human and yeah. I think I got I got yeah, the additional upside for that because I went back to like see how she was doing in her mm-hmm. shack. And it was, you know, not good because she's like a crow woman in a shack right. in a horror zone. Uh, but yeah, it, it made her... Because if she just, like, died at that point, she would have fallen into... Well, you wouldn't have necessarily had to have killed her. Sure, sure. It, I'm say, What I was trying to express there was just that it, it's part of, like, a, a long trope of, like, introducing, like, a pseudo-antagonistic character. And this time, they decided to give it, like an emotional core instead of a mechanical core and sort of pulled the rug out from you a little bit that I really liked. I do like the idea that you, like, cut her head off and then just, like, stick it on the back end of your sword and she just gives you advice or something. <laughs> like, that's the shitty mechanical version yeah. of if she, if she was a fight. very dark. <laughs> it's pretty dark, but not that much darker than what you're already doing. I mean... Like, you're just collecting... Literal body parts, arms, yeah, lungs from like monsters. Yeah, what Chad's describing is like is like B movie dark, where it's like yeah. comedic dark. It is, it, yeah. it, presuming you guys still talk. This is just like actual depressing. Darkness. She becomes like yeah. a shrunken head. Oh right, yeah. <laughs> on a pendant, which you also I checked at the end. You also have the pendant that allows you to change the. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah, so really? you just have like everything yeah. glued to your character model. Mm-hmm. It really struck the balance well between I'm becoming a badass and I'm becoming a monster. Yeah, and the two-headed crow guy comments on that, about, like, when you first meet him, he's like, oh, you're so ugly, humans are gross. Right. And then, like, as you get more and more monster parts on you, he's like, you don't look so bad. You want to hang out? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You want to be best of friends? <laughs> uh, but no, yeah, you're right. Because, because, like, 
You literally, like, if you... It's the kind of thing where if this was, uh, like, a movie whose goal was to tell a story, as opposed to this game, which is more about, like, just giving you a tone to, like, overlay on the on the mechanics, uh, there would be, like, a scene where you see the, the protagonist coming from a distance, and it just looks like a monster is coming for you. Mm-hmm. Because she's got, like, the huge mouth on her chest and everything. It's... The repetition of taking your family members back to the house is a good way to illustrate that, because each time she's got more monster parts Garbage on her, so she looks less human like she looks more angry each time yeah like a de-evolution she got pretty goddamn far from a 12 year old girl with a bow in her hair yeah or she had a headband not a bow you dumbass it was a it was a head-based ribbon accessory it was it both are associated with innocence childhood and women that's true and also of course the and keeping hair out of your face (laughs) Yes, uh, and then the the obvious like uh, symbolism behind when you actually do kill the dragon, shedding all of the parts, right? And you even get your monster arm cut off. Yeah, and yeah, you, well, you cut your own monster. You do. Arm you off. cut yeah. your own monster. That's another because this game is just full like all of the narrative. <laughs> all all of the narrative is uh, is punctuated by these like gut punch moments because it's like. Finding each family member, I argue that finding your brother is the most oh, yeah. oh, uh, impactful one. And then, uh, fi- like, because you chase down the rage arm as it, like, scurries around like a rat. And then, like, <laughs> you literally cut it off yourself and feed it to the dragon. Uh, there's moments with uh, the old woman when you first find her. She, like, just kind of, like, shows up and is like, if you come back here again, I'll cut you in half and shit. Mm-hmm. Like, it has these, like, really elevated uh, emotional moments to go with the fact that there's, like, almost nothing in between. Yeah. A lot of different directions I, I could go narratively with this. Because the game's vague enough that it leaves lots of interesting open questions. My, my two biggest and favorites were your relationship to the rage arm... And uh, your relationship to Aku. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the rage arm uh, that occurred to me as well because, like, when you run across it in the last dungeon, it does kind of seem as though there's like a pre-established, like, I recognize this arm. Yeah, like, you have like rapport with the yeah, arm. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> is that her arm? Did something <laughs> happen to it? Or the the way that I viewed that whole sequence was that initially the as I described it, the weird gross arm right. uh was not her arm. It was just like an arm. I and, mean it might be. Right. But then when you get it and the implication with the final boss, uh and the fact that he like will temporarily like control it and make it go all wacky mm-hmm. uh makes it seem like it is your arm. So I had the the impression that it wasn't and that you were just using it to, like, draw out its power or whatever. But then the thing that kills your parents is the thing that makes you go mad with rage. So, which, to me, screams, like, it's her arm, mm-hmm. and more importantly, it's just a symbol. Right. Like, it doesn't actually matter that it's, uh... 
Yeah, you're and right. In cutting off her arm, he transferred his rainbow serpent powers <laughs> into it, and that's why it's a rainbow arm. arm. Yeah. And when you throw it back to him, it becomes a rainbow serpent again. Exactly. Got cracked the, the code. The interpretation of <laughs> it's not her arm it makes her seem all the more monstrous and crazy by that point of the game, where you're just like, he's like, oh like, well, sweet an arm. <laughs> I could use this arm. Sprinting <laughs> after an arm. They were like millions of other arms that she picked up along the way that she didn't like yeah. just stick them yeah, on. Yeah, but those weren't cut off at the right spot. Yeah. Right, they yeah. would have been weird. Yeah. You know how kids like their like colorful bullshit toys too. So yeah, she knows they, she, she saw the holographic arm and was just yeah, like, oh, it's definitely a rare that, arm. That arm reminds me of zebra stripe guy. I got uh, it's, it's 2017, Andy. Zebra stripe gum is, gum is not the uh, the touchstone. And just like zebra but stripe gum, they always it's st- they still sell that. Like, does anyone buy it? I don't know. I always remember noticing zebra stripe gum at the store when I was a kid. So that's that's where I went. Okay, Chad. Fair enough. I never had it. Right. I always. Oh, you never it. had it? No. Oh. All right. Well, we have a new cast. Thing that we're gonna do. Yeah, you've got to eat some zebra stripe. Let's go stripe. buy some, some zebra stripe. <laughs> it only take like six seconds because that's how long zebra stripe gum lasts. Pulls its flavor. Yeah, yeah. much right. like the arm uh, itself. Yeah. Very, very short lasting. <laughs> Runs yeah. out of flavor real fast. But goddamn, yeah. did I make uh, the most use of that? <laughs> like that was the best thing ever because it, it makes you feel so good to use it. The arm strength. Like, yeah. The ability. Like, because it, it just it like it comes um, at right at just the right part in the game, like right towards the end. The way I viewed it, which is probably not the correct way to take it in, uh, was like uh, the in Tony Hawk's Pro Skater Three. This is already way off. <laughs> introduced the revert, which allowed you to continue a combo string by reverting when you hit the 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 end of a. Like a jump. I'm going to stop you right there. You, you can't describe what revert means by saying, oh, and you mid, mid the middle of the combo, you revert it. You just referenced yeah. revert to describe what reverting was. No, what no, no. Reverting? Re- it's a move where you just spin the board around, but the important thing is it preserves your combo. And that's what the arm does, because you like go, blah, 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 and then there's a down period, and you're like... Whew. And then ah, with the arm, you can toggle it in the middle. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's basically just constantly moving around the screen at all times when I had access to it. Because it like, you have to like get like the, the perfect, most efficient use out of the rage arm. Mm-hmm. You hit it just before it becomes vulnerable. And then as soon as he becomes not vulnerable, turn it off so you don't go crazy. It was True. fun. You do have the management because you have to... When you activate it, it becomes actually interesting in contrast to a whole lot of other games with a button you press to activate super mode. Right. Because when you activate the super mode is incredibly important in this game, considering the vulnerability windows of all these different enemies have are very wild and all over the place. Yeah, I don't think that I ever had the rage take over me and not die. And it happened one time. So I know that there was a 100% correlation between it getting red and me being dead. That was an unintentional rhyme. Don't don't look at me like that. What? Uh, so, what do we think of Aku then? To get back to the original. Uh... Yeah. Question posed. I'm definitely interested in hearing what you guys think about Aku because. <laughs> 
I have no idea. Uh, me neither, actually. Like, JJ he showed helped. up so frequently <laughs> that I forget what his dialogue was. He is presented so clearly aesthetically as just a warlock patron. <laughs> because you need, like, because he exists, essentially, to fill in the gaps between 12-year-old girl and mm-hmm. trained warrior. Like, right. that, is, that, is, that is the definition of what warlock patrons are for. Right, he's uh, like Palpatine or something. Yes. <laughs> But unlike the entire trope, I don't think there's any evidence in the game of him being malicious to anyone at all. Like, I don't think he so. Does it, there's not evidence in the game of him existing to anyone except you. Well, the other woman had a the sword just like yours. That's true. Your sword does physically exist, and the old woman has one too. And well, maybe everyone request. has a spirit guide warlock patron <laughs> assigned to them after they die. He could be more like a... I was thinking, like, the comparison of what I made was, like, to Joshua in The World Ends With You. Like, yeah. he's, like, some kind of, like, in charge of, like, the other world that you're in. The reason that I like this interpretation is because my interpretation of the game as a whole is that it's not, like, a thing that happened. It's, like, a spirit journey kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Right. So, I like the idea that this dude, the, the Aku, the messenger... Uh, some other mysterious name. <laughs> just has, like, a fucking garbage can full of swords, and he's just, like, passing them out to people as they show up for their spirit journey. They're like, here you go, here's your sword, here's your, like, uh, your spirit mask, and your... <laughs> He's like an upperclassman, like uh, at freshman orientation, <laughs> like giving all the kids like their name tags. Yeah, he killed the dragon. Wasn't really satisfied with the closure he got, and asked if they had like any employment opportunities. Yeah. That would explain why at the end of the game, in the last cutscene, after you bury your dead parents, you, you can like look, you look off one direction, and there's the door, and then the camera pans the other direction. And there's and, Aku. Yeah, and like a warlock guy is just like off, like just barely in frame over there, like hey. he's like smoking a cigarette against the wall. <laughs> what do I do? He's like, I'm on break. Give me 20 minutes. Yeah. He looked to me in that scene because he's not leaning he's on anything. No, he's not. He's just standing there. It, it, he, he didn't look like he was being casual. He looked like a guy who was waiting for his date to show up. So it had like the desperation air of like, does this guy want me to stay? Like I don't... I don't really understand what him being there is supposed to symbolize otherwise. Like, maybe it's, like, you giving in to your monstrous nature and, like, remaining here forever to do, I don't know what, yeah. keeps everything. Hang out things. with the bear, or the, the bird. Uh, you can hang out with bird woman. Yeah. yeah. I think... Or I meant the yeah. two-headed crow, but whatever. That, yeah, he was just there to, like, symbolize the choice of staying in the other world, whatever you want to call it. She yeah. is pretty goddamn sweet in other world. She's high she on the is, tier list. She's pretty pretty powerful. Yeah. That's that's appealing, I guess. I'd like to see the like the hypothetical sequel to this game, Severed Two, uh <laughs> where you just are like you've been in the other world for so long that like you can't even see parts of her body anymore. She's just got like every, even like she's wearing that dude's cloak. <laughs> She has like those like, the, like yeah, the, the antlers, thing, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and she's like, just, like, there's just no one left. She, she's she got, killed like, the everyone. Sword, <laughs> dual wielding, <laughs> a second rainbow arm. She cut off the left no, remaining. It would be she just shoved the sword <laughs> onto the, the yeah. stump. Yep. Sword arm online. Yeah, sword, sword arm, arm online. online. <laughs> 
<laughs> it wasn't this isn't like a metaphor for life beyond death it's it's actually just an online it's MMO. a game yeah. Oh, yeah it's a vr game that yeah. a mexican girl has been playing yeah and she actually killed her whole family in real yeah. life now that we've solved this <laughs> let's just abruptly change to a different topic because i think that we've now exhausted everything we could say I actually have more on the narrative willing to actually oh, that's stay fine. serious. We have narrative. to get away from this. <laughs> yes. Okay, narrative things. Fine. Uh, so, I forget. You said one of you guys found one of the memento rooms. Yeah. Did I you did. actually find the, the memento in the room? Because they're all a bit puzzly. I was a little confused as to what was going on. Yeah. And I went the other way. Okay. So I did not find the memento. So, the three like big secrets that you can get in this game are when you solve the puzzles in each of those rooms, which are all, like, I think, if I remember correctly, vaguely affiliated with not treating the areas like they're, like, physical 3D spaces. Like, I remember in one room you have to go into a particular room and then walk out of it again, and then the item you're looking for will have become closer to you. Okay. You have to keep doing that until you can eventually get it. Like, crazy non-Euclidean physics shit like that. But some all, anti-chamber shit. Yeah. Some anti-chamber shit. All the stuff you get are just, like, trinkets from your family. Like, mm-hmm. you get, like, a horse doll and a little another little, like, locket, I think. And I forget what the third thing is. But the point is that they're just, like, completely mundane, normal items from your life that all have ancillary mechanical benefits. One of them, like, keeps you from going into the rage mode in your hyper form ever again. It's really good stuff. Uh, but... It, they're, they're not presented even like mechanical rewards. It's all very abstract, like you'd expect from the crazy white rooms you find them in. Right. Uh, but the only thing that getting all three of these super secret, hard-to-get items is in this game, it's the only difference is that at the end of the game, you just put it on their graves. Okay. And that's so awesome. Because when you Google stuff about these items, which I immediately did, because they were just too interesting for me not to do that after you beat it, uh, is... Like, everyone thinks that these items are some kind of trigger to an alternative ending, and tons of people, like, Google, like, blah, 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 true ending, and see the one that has the items in it, and right. I, I got confused about this, too, because when I, I beat the game and had all the items, because I was like, oh, wait, is there, like, a bad version of this ending that I didn't know about? Because this is pretty dark if this is the good ending, is right. that you just make, mm-hmm. I thought maybe you, like, I thought that maybe, like, that triggered, like, you staying or something and becoming the monster, but it turns out, no. And the only thing that changes between like the two variants is whether or not each memento you find goes on the grave of the appropriate person that it's assigned to. All the crazy stuff that in most video games you would expect to give you some agency over the narrative and like really change the bad shit that's happening in the story, all it does is just like gives your family a better grave. And that's such a cool choice. Mm-hmm. It, it, it doesn't let you undercut like the meaningfulness of anything that the character is going through by pretending that things could have been any different in the story. Like, no, your family's dead. You have to deal with that one way or the other. I hope this little trinket helps you deal with it better. Maybe those trinkets contained your family's souls. So if you don't get them... And then in Cyber 2, they come back as zombies (laughs) and you have to kill them again. That could be the only thing I could think of. Yeah. Now... uh, (laughs) Realistically, uh, yeah, that's. I mean, it's. It is. It is a simple explanation, but I think it is the best one. Uh, I, I don't think there's really much else uh, that we can add to that now, knowing that that was a thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, in fact, 
I feel like a lot of people, because there's some debate over the interpretation of the narrative of this game, I I feel as though the basic like narrative arc is fairly simple, all things considered. Mm-hmm. Like it's a game that that with or without trinkets on on graves is mostly just about that acceptance, mm-hmm. and at least in my experience, also about alarming reveal of death. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But other than that, uh, yeah, and that is that's really nice. Kind of, kind of wish I had gotten that. Yeah, they're they're cool as shit. The also, only, so that I can yeah, rage mode forever. That is a cool <laughs> secret. I agree. Uh, it's crazy narratively how much they get away with keeping the inciting incident of the story like in the background too. Mm-hmm. Like they managed to really focus in on just making sure that the only important thing about this story was you dealing with the loss, such to the extent that like. It doesn't really matter how your family got killed or how you lost your arm. You're here well, now. Wasn't it the dragon? I don't know. Well, I think the dragon is just a symbol. Mm. Yeah. Uh, as is everything. In the right. World. I mean, I didn't know how to take that. Like Because your arm got cut off like by a sword. Like in the opening cutscenes, like there were just people who were coming for you. Are you telling me that like, a dragon can't hold a sword? At least not well. Blasphemy. <laughs> like a dragon's tail could be kind of like a sword. Yeah. Get your arm off. Anyway, yeah. I mean, it's probably all symbolic. Well, if you <laughs> want to think of it that way, Aku could probably represent death. Like accepting death. Oh, I fuck. Well, my... Oh, go ahead. No, oh, fuck. Oh, sorry. What if Aku's vengeance? What if Aku is the personification like of just revenge in the story? That could also be true. In that case, this... I mean, but you do get revenge. Yeah, you get revenge, and that's the closure as well, which makes it even weirder, because that's never what... That's that's just not how narratives work in this day and age. You are just trying to get the corpses of your family back, and he stands in between you and And your your mother's corpse. corpse. So... If he hadn't have been in your way, I don't think she would have killed him. True. Yeah, because he comes, he scoops up your mother's corpse, and obviously, like, <laughs> feels weird to like just sort of casually be like, that, yeah. "Oh, you know, your mother's corpse." Uh, <laughs> so the dragon grabs your mom's corpse and then and then goes to like wherever nether realm that exists within the mirror. Mirrorland. Yeah, but the fact that it's even within the mirror is kind of a thing because. It's not because it isn't just revenge, and if the because the dragon is supposed to be symbolic of whatever. Yeah, it's like you're going your inside of yourself. Right. Yeah. So the get, mirror itself is a symbol. Yeah. There's a lot, a lot going on here that I didn't think about even a little bit before starting this podcast. <laughs> well, you just finished the game. Yeah. yeah. Mirror out. <laughs> so it's kind of hard, but yeah, because you're not because if the dragon does symbolize what kills your parents and your brother and presumably also you are dead in this instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, if that was, like, a drunk driver or something, right? Yeah. <laughs> you going in and killing the dragon makes no sense as a symbol. Because you, the thing that you're actually defeating by killing the dragon in the context of the story is your own anger and, like, inability to accept the death. Yeah. That, 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 I think that you pointing out that the mirror is going inside of yourself is an important point, Andy, because that is, you don't kill the dragon out in the world. You kill the dragon inside your heart. Yeah, your heart and mind. <laughs> yeah. So I think that, 
Then has to be in the dragon, therefore can't really be unless plot twist. Yeah, figured it out. You killed your family, <laughs> and that's why you go inside yourself to kill the dragon, who also represents you. you. Mm. Scratch that. That's dumb. And then you feed yourself your own rage. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, let's and never try yourself. to interpret art again. Yes. Okay. Yeah, Jesus. Uh, pretty good art, though. Pretty solid that, arts. For sure. Oh, wait, are you trying to go into visuals right now? No, I oh. just... No, I actually, for the first time maybe in my whole life, just said, that's some pretty good art without ever qualifying it and not talking about the video games are art discussion. <laughs> just without context said, this thing is art without having to defend it at all. And that was nice. Oh. Well, I don't think... That this is art. It's basically... It's, yeah, <laughs> I don't think games are art at This all. is trash. Now... This is going to be a difficult conversation say, should, to cut I was just going to say you should never have to defend referring to video games as art, because they clearly just are. <laughs> well, I think... And Roger Ebert can go suck a dick. <laughs> In hell. Yes. Uh, <laughs> the important thing here... Just, like, the, <laughs> I think the important <laughs> distinction here is that you can just say, this is good art. In reference to, like, the whole of this game, as opposed to being, like, because even, this is one of those games that takes every part of it and attempts to, like, weave it together into, like, the most cohesive single tone and package that it can. Because it's it's about, like, I guess the exception for me, at least, was the music. I didn't mm. feel like the music was quite like, but it served its purpose. Yeah, it was moody when it needed to be. I felt like the, the boss music and the fight music was like way too intense mm. for what it actually needed to be. Yeah, and I, don't, I found that to be a pretty big surprise because I remember really liking the music in Guacamole. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, I have to listen to it to compare, but I'm glad both of you guys caught on to how weak the soundtrack was comparatively in this. Mm-hmm. I almost this is one of the few times that I wish that if this game got re-released again, or if it sold well enough, that they would literally just redo the soundtrack from scratch because it really does deserve a better soundtrack than it has. That's... The the soundtrack was written by like a the group that made this is like a renowned group. Well, it's certainly not renowned for making video game soundtracks. That's true, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I, even, I mean, I don't, I'm pretty sure that's like completely unprecedented. Like, a re release <laughs> of a game has never gotten a re recorded soundtrack. Oh, I know. I'm saying I'd want it, not that it would ever come to pass. I actually found that. Out, that might not be true. Yeah, I, I actually heard about something that had that exact problem yesterday, but I can't remember what it was. <laughs> oh, wow. But yeah, it would be nice. Yeah. Uh, I completely agree. But um, the only time that I thought the super crazy over-the-top metal boss music actually fit was the final boss. Right. Just because of how crazy, like, gory and hoary it was, even in comparison to everything else that you get. Because the normal enemies that you fight, their designs look crazy, but, like, the act of severing their limbs and stuff is fairly sterile compared to all the other stuff that goes on. Yeah. But then in the final boss of this game, you, like, slowly peel away the flesh from its skull, and it, like, licks its own eyeball for fun. Yeah. There's nothing that's more metal... Well, I'm not (laughs) even saying that because fans of true metal will come and kill me, Mm -hmm. but... (laughs) Like, there's there's few things more metal than, like, a dragon with one of its eyes falling out with only 
like some of its skin left on. <laughs> the uh, your home your main character is pretty metal. <laughs> oh yeah, she's got one arm and she's like killed all these monsters and is wearing their body parts, and going to slay a dragon. Definitely metal as fuck. Yeah, yeah. And unlike so many other things that you see metal in the context of, it actually ramps up. It doesn't mm-hmm. start at metal. Like, the game doesn't open with, like, crazy, badass warrior woman coming off the top of the hill to exact her vengeance. Like, right. it starts with a human being, mm-hmm. which is nice. Yeah. And, oh, fuck. Oh, yeah, well, it also ramps up just in the context of the final boss, because when you start, it's this total serene, like, literal nothingness that you're walking through, uh, and the music is... Either non-existent or so quiet that I couldn't hear it over other things that were happening, and then you get to the the, the boss battle itself, and it becomes super jarring if you die because if you die, there's actually a checkpoint on the final boss right after you uh, knock his eyeball. Out. Yeah, so when you go in the second time, it just goes immediately into like <laughs> like it's just yeah. crazy metal immediately. <laughs> I died to the final boss once. I died twice actually. The uh, second better than you. Yeah. Yeah, that second phase where he has like the uh like the E Honda hundred hand slap move. Mm, I uh, like that move. It's a good move. That's cool. However, if you fuck one up, then your timing is off on all of them. Mm-hmm. And I basically got pummeled to death in the first fa- like it was like <laughs> I did the the little end thing to go into the final phase and then it was just immediately just like start over. <laughs> It was terrible. It was solid. Yeah. Uh, anything else pressing? No, I think we've been through most of the stuff. That is that is how I would describe this game generally. Solid. Oh. Yeah. I, I, I was thinking about just our catalog of, of episodes, and I think that this is just, like, the most obscure game that we've talked about, and it feels so, like, wrong that it's this obscure. Like, yeah. it has the, the the marketing and, like, what you see when you start the game and everything has that same, like, low-budget lack of polish that you would associate with a game that isn't very popular or well-liked. And then the game itself just, like, fucking blows it away. It's like, you have no idea when you pick up the game that it's going to be anything that's, like, even good. Yes. But then it just is amazing. Yeah, the only reason I knew about it was because, like, it was featured, like, on the Wii U eShop. And I was like, this looks cool. Oh, Drinkbox Studios. (laughs) But, like, yeah, it seems weird that they didn't, like, use the notoriety they got from Guacamelee to, like, promote this game. Yeah. And, no, you're the one who told me about it. Yeah. Uh, So when I got it, it was, like, uh, you know, like, I started, I was like, I'll come back to this and just, like, got caught up in other stuff uh-huh. and so it's crazy that we even decided one decided to do this game because none of us knew anything about it going in barring my like a trailer maybe and yeah. my four minutes of playtime. yeah i was just i gave it the benefit of the doubt because i liked guacamelee so much yeah and i gave it the benefit of the doubt because when i googled the game in google images the images that came up yeah were and it also looked cool it also looks red yeah, yeah it has a very striking uh like presentation yeah 
The sure, marketing yeah. campaign is all about that same duality and progression of the character. Like I think that the title screen that they use in most of the advertisements is literally just the word severed, the arm with a little logo on the back of it, and just your player character with one half down the middle being the normal girl and the other half being crazy badass like Mayan woman. Right. And yet, weirdly, did not because like, I've seen that promotional image like several times. Never even like connected it to the game at all. <laughs> I don't know how. I just didn't even think about it until I was like done with the game. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, it's because the game is so different that mm-hmm. you like forgot about anything you saw of it before you started playing it. So I'd say, final thoughts for everybody: the game was good. Yeah. Try to play it in a form where you can minimize the amount you look at the map. Just so you don't get you crutch it too hard, and you can appreciate the setting more because it's a setting worth appreciating. Yeah, if it was the Wii U wasn't the Wii U, uh, I would recommend playing it on that. <laughs> but you probably don't own one, so uh, statistically speaking, you don't own a Wii U. Yeah, so play it either on a 3DS or an iPad or something. Notice or none of us didn't mention the Vita. Of well, course. I mean, if you have a Vita, obviously get it on that. <laughs> yeah, statistically speaking, you're even less likely to have a Vita. <laughs> yeah, than a Wii U. Or know. play it on your phone and then just yeah. let us know how that is, because I don't know. Yeah, that's your only option, I mean. No. But yeah, definitely give this game a look if it looks even a little interesting to you. It's cheap, it'll take six hours, and it'll probably yeah. beat your expectations. It's got that portal thing going for it where, like, it's short enough to play in one sitting. This and this really defi- depends on your definition of a sitting because it we each spent six and a half hours. True, on it. that's I mean, like <laughs> that's my whole day <laughs> most days. I suppose. Uh, yeah, uh, we probably didn't need to recommend the game after we finished eh. talking about it and spoiling the whole thing. But thank you for listening to NoClip this week. What are we talking about next time? Next time we're going to be talking about Super Hot. Uh, which I think we're past the statute of limitations on talking about this game at this point, but it's interesting nonetheless. Uh, until then, if you want to get a hold of us, you can do so. All of our contact information is on noclippodcast.com. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, Twitter, etc. Uh, Give us a like, subscribe, uh, tell your friends, share it, write a review. Put $5 in an envelope, write no clip on the front of it, and drop it in your, the nearest <laughs> mailbox. It'll get to us. Don't do that. You read enough continental philosophy and you're just like, no, I need monster trucks. <laughs> get all this out of my head. <laughs> continental monster trucks. That would be an interesting... The monster truck rally where, like, are they mon- They're sponsored by different eras of philosophy. Mm-hmm. I was imagining just continent-sized monsters. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm a fan. Can like Sart be the guy who's driving the continental monster truck? Yeah, yes. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Uh, good old Jean Paul. <laughs> you go by Johnny Paul, sorry. <laughs> <laughs>